0: Good morning, church family. Uh, I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles to John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are so glad you're here. Or if you are here for the first time in a long time, uh, we're also glad you're here. And uh, we have started a series, I think we're about two weeks in now, um, called Not the Same." The idea behind this series is that we wanted to just kind of take some time in in the life of our church and uh, with several um, of our leaders, not even myself, but just people in our congregation that are gifted with teaching, and we wanted to take some time and just kind of look through some of the encounters that Jesus had with people in the Gospels, because here's what we know, people in the Gospels who met Jesus, they left not the same what we also know is is that all of us in this building those of us who have met Jesus when we met him we left that encounter not the same, And so we just want to challenge you, uh, challenge each other to look at some of the accounts that Jesus had, um, some of the encounters that he went through with people, notice some of the changes that happened and then ask him, what does that look like for me? How are you working in my life, Jesus? What do you want me to change? How are you wanting me to be more like You. And so we're going to do that this morning as we have for the past couple of weeks as we look at an encounter that Jesus has with someone in the Gospel of John, chapter number eight. Now, before we jump in there, I had this thought because I I definitely think it's true. People see things differently, right? We might see the same thing, uh, but what I think about it or my experience with it might be a little bit different than what you think or what your experience has been with whatever that is. For example, um, I think that people see food differently. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I think some people love certain types of food, while other people might be described as hating certain types of food. As a matter of fact, I thought we would play a game this morning, but we're not. But I thought about it. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand uh, or sit depending on what you like or what you don't like But I will ask for a little bit of response maybe by show of hands How many of you like certain things versus those who don't raise their hands who don't like certain things? So here's the first one you see it on the screen. This is a coconut if you're not sure what it is How many of you would say Danny? I love coconuts raise your hand. I am a coconut person. Yeah, that's that's pretty good How many of you don't like coconuts? Yes, I don't know if you were looking around, but it's about half, right? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like coconuts. So if you like coconuts, you're weird um, out there this morning, all right? How about this one? Look at this next one. This is a picture of turnip greens, all right? Actually, it may not be turnip greens, but I Googled that, and that's what came up. And so... I'm going to say I think those are turnip greens. How many of you love turnip greens? I had some hands before I even asked. Oh, that's pretty good. Okay. How many of you do not like turnip greens? Yeah. Hey, by the way, I'm with you people, right? Turnip greens. Ugh, they're so gross. Make your whole house smell funny for days, right? How about this one? Let me show you the next one. This is a jar of mayonnaise. How many of you are like, I can't live without mayonnaise? Anybody in here? You're like a mayo person. All right, how about this one? How about this one? How many of you don't like mayonnaise? Yeah, that stuff is nasty. Hey, by the way, if you like mayonnaise, I got a trick for you to not like it anymore. Leave like your sandwich on like the dash of your truck and then later that day find it and then try to eat it when it's had mayonnaise and it's been like baking in the sun all day. All right, how about this next one? I got a picture of tomatoes. If you love tomatoes, let me know it. Oh, okay, got a little bit of better crowd, right? How many of you don't like tomatoes? Yeah, once again, by the way, I'm in that crowd. I haven't found anything that I like. Um, so far so I'm, I'm with you on that. How about this one? Olives any olive people in the room some of you like everything and I'm a little concerned um, About you uh, right now. Here's a good one for you. This is like this is this is controversial right here show, show our next picture Sushi how many of you are like man if I could eat sushi every day This would be me even from a gas station. I am in on the sushi right I, uh, I, don't, I don't like sushi. That's pretty gross. Here's my next one, though. I do like these mushrooms. Anybody in the room, you're like, man, look, if we're going to cook it, might as well throw some mushrooms in there. I personally think mushrooms should just be added to every dish, even chocolate cake. Why not a few mushrooms um, on the top of it? I don't know why that's a big deal. Here's my favorite one. This is my last one to kind of uh, gauge the room. Any crawfish lovers uh, in the room, like the crayfish? Yeah, okay. H- how many of you don't like crawfish? I need to see who my enemies are. In the room, this one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, so th- this is kind of silly, right? I'm with you. But this is just a, a simple example of how people see things differently. Now, this is just food. But we would all agree just from this example, people see food differently, but not just food, people see a lot of things differently. I'll give you another couple of examples. Some people love sports, some people don't, right? Like some people are buzzing this morning talking about college football games from yesterday, and others of you are like, what is college football? I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Like I was doing whatever yesterday, I didn't even know that was happening. Or some people love music, other people are those ones who just listen to nothing or talk radio all day, right? So you're like a music lover or you don't really care about music. Some people love math. Not sure who those people are, but they're out there, right? And most of the rest of us don't. Some people love church. Hey, by the way, by the way, listen. Some people don't. People see things differently. I would also say this is true with the way that we see people. You say, Daniel, what what do you mean by that? I think people view others a little bit differently. Some people may love that particular person, whereas other people may not even want to be in a room with that particular person. Some people see someone who is is arrogant, and they go, no, they're just confident, and they, they, they know what they're good at, right? And other people be like, no, that's just Arrogant, right? Or some people will be like, "Man, that guy's a that guy's a jerk." Whereas others are like, "No, he's not a jerk. He's just honest and keeping it real, right?" Like, there's all these different perspectives about seeing people, and for some, we may think one thing about, whereas other people think something differently. Because here's the truth: people see things differently, and this is even true when it comes to other people. But what I think is interesting, especially about John chapter eight, is that when we meet Jesus. He changes the way we see people. He changes the way that we see others. As a matter of fact, there's there's an encounter, John chapter 8, It's happened thousands of years ago. It's a very controversial story in Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at John chapter eight in some of your Bibles, it may have some kind of little note or tag or some kind of little parentheses there that says this should not, maybe even be in there, or this wasn't in earlier manuscripts. And to be honest, there are pages and pages that have been written about whether or not this should be in our Bibles or whether it should be in our Bibles if it should be taken out or or if it. Should be left in. There are commentaries that ignore it. There are commentaries that apologize for it. There are commentaries that put it in the back of the book. There are commentaries that praise it. But for this morning, it is in my copy of God's Word, and I think it is so fitting with the character of Jesus that I can't imagine why it would not be in there. And so, for us, we're going to look at how Jesus shows us how we should be looking at other people, and not just other people, but how we should be looking at ourselves. And we're going to check out this encounter, we're going to see exactly what happens when this lady meets Jesus and leaves there not the same. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse number 1, and we're just going to walk through this story. I hope you are ready to go with me. Here's what happens in John chapter number 8, verse 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount Now I wanna pause and just kind of give a little introductory uh, statements here. Jesus, at this point in time, he's been teaching in the temple. People are debating whether or not he's a prophet, whether he's the Christ, whether he's somebody that's uh, leading people away. The the Pharisees have multiple times at this point in time, other religious leaders, they've sent soldiers to try to arrest Jesus. They couldn't do it because the crowds are, are so crazy around Jesus. Some love him, some hate him. If they were to arrest him, they might lose their own lives. If they don't arrest him, other people are mad at him, but here's what I know. Jesus is speaking in such a way that people are listening to him. People are attracted to him. Ministry has been busy. He's been healing people. He's been been turning the world upside down. And when we get to John chapter eight, verse one, when it says he went to the Mount of Olives, this is kind of a moment where Jesus is going to rest for the night because he's been busy and he is weary. So Jesus is headed to get some rest for the night at the Mount of Olives. Of olives. And then it says, verse 2, early in the morning, some of you hate this already, right? Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Now, this encounter continues early in the morning with Jesus again at the The temple. Now I want to give a little little side note here. If you wanted to find Jesus in Jerusalem, one of the very first places you should look is the temple. As a matter of fact, if you recall, early on when Jesus was just a young boy in Luke chapter 2, his mother and his father could not find him. They thought they lost him, and then they show up at the temple, and there's Jesus teaching, and his response to his parents were: This should have been the first place you looked. I'm always here. And so here's another encounter of Jesus early in the morning. He's at the temple. If you're looking for him, this is a good place to find him. And many people, by the way, according to John chapter 8, verse 2, many people are gathered in the temple listening to Jesus as he is teaching. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this that I, I don't want us. To miss. The first one is that there's a particular holiday that's being celebrated right now in Jewish life in the context of John chapter 8. It's known as the Feast of Booths. It's about September or October. It would last seven days or about a week. It was a special celebration of thanksgiving in which the people of Israel would acknowledge the fall harvest and God's provision for them. It was also a huge holiday because this is a time in which the people would remember their deliverance from Egypt and specifically the wandering that took place in the wilderness. Now this is a huge holiday for those folks. In fact, This particular week would be filled with different offerings, worship times, prayer meetings. The temple would be buzzing at this time because here's the truth. It was required by Jewish law for all Jews who were able to come to the temple for this celebration. So however many Jews there are at this time, they're all being gathered together in Jerusalem to worship for this week-long celebration at the temple with tons of worship services, plenty of offerings and sacrifices, and by the way, tons of teaching. So if you know this is happening, one of the largest events in their particular calendar year, why would we not think Jesus would be here with all these people teaching about the things of God? And so there's probably a a lot of Jews that are around the temple. This is at the end of those festivities. They're probably getting one final look at the temple before they make their long journeys home. A lot of people there. I wanna give you another side note, by the way. The Bible's already told us multiple times. Matthew chapter 7, verse 29 is one of my favorites. It's already told us many times that when people encountered the teaching of Jesus, they realized he taught unlike anybody else. You know what they're saying when they made that comment? If Jesus was on the flyer that he's coming to First Baptist Church Saltillo, everybody from around is coming to hear Jesus. Now listen, if we had that flyer, I still hope a lot of people would come and hear about Jesus because he's Jesus. But at this point in time, he's not the Jesus that we know. I mean, I guess I guess he is, but they don't know he's the Jesus that we know. But still, his popularity was so wide, his teaching was so powerful, he was so inspirational and moving and taught with authority. He did things unlike anybody else. And so when they heard Jesus was coming to town, people showed up. And so here's all these Jews gathered in the temple for this holiday, listening, by the way, to the one in which the holiday. Day is all about in the first place <laughs> their deliverance from egypt was nothing more than a picture of all of the world's deliverance through christ and here he is teaching them there look at verse three let's keep going it says the scribes and the pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, just take in this scene with me for just a moment. Jesus is teaching in the temple. It is probably one of the largest crowds of the year that are all surrounded listening to him teach. Everybody who is anybody, your mama, your mama's sister, your grandparents, your wife's parents, they're all there at the temple. Nobody is missing from this scene. Jesus is teaching as one with authority And then here they stroll down the middle aisle, this poor unfortunate soul who's been caught in the middle of her sin. And they place her in the midst and said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So here's Jesus. A lot of people about to go on to their voyage back to their homes. They placed this woman right in the middle of them, interrupting the very teachings of Jesus. And just imagine, you say, Danny, why are you trying to paint the picture for us? Imagine the painful embarrassment of this woman as she's caught in the act of her sin and then thrown before her peers, thrown before her religious leaders, thrown by the way before her Messiah at the very feet of God, Caught in her act. Listen, I don't know about you, friends, but there have been plenty of times that have been embarrassing in my life because my sin had been exposed. As a matter of fact, if you think back to the times of wandering in the wilderness, if you think back to the times of what this celebration was all about, you'd encounter a passage of Scripture in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, that says this, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Can I tell you something, friends? I don't care how good you think you can hide your sin, your peers may not know about it, your pastor may not know about it, but I can tell you right now, you may not be thrown up here in front of everybody but God sees you right where you are and he knows every detail about your life. You may not realize it but you are exposed in the very midst of God, caught in the act of whatever sin. You fill in the blank. You've been caught. Your sin has certainly found you Now, let me tell you something. We know this about God, but could you imagine the embarrassment if somebody right now was to yell out in the back? They had you by the arm. They stopped the middle of this worship. I mean, Danny, I need you to stop for a moment. I'm not Jesus, by the way, so please don't put me in that context, but I'm teaching this morning. This is obviously not all the Jews who would have been there to celebrate the feast, but it's a pretty good crowd this morning, all right, by all standards and account, whatever. Imagine you are dragged down the aisle, everybody's looking at you. They throw you upon this stage and they've got proof that you've been caught in something horrendous and now we're all looking at you waiting to see what the judgment might be. And I thought, wow, it's even worse for her because she hasn't just been called out by her peers, she is literally placed at the feet of Jesus and in this moment I realized something so important that Jesus reminds all of us and it's this, we all stand guilty before God. You say, Danny, I've never done that before. I don't care. You've done something. Danny, I've never been caught in a sin like that. You can measure your sin however you want to. Sin is sin and God hates it. And let me tell you something, friends, all of us stand guilty before God. There's nothing we can do when we're placed in the midst of of Jesus. This woman was confronted with her sin and there was nothing she could say in defense and we are no different. Listen to this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Romans 5.8, for God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, right, separated from him, enemies. Imagine standing in a courtroom in which you are on trial for your sin against God. You want to be seen good. You want to be seen right. You want people to know that you're really not a bad person. And then in walks the prosecutor named the devil, and he has all sorts of dirty secrets to use against you and use against me. But really, none of them are secrets to God. He already knows everything about you everything the devil has to say about you and how you've sinned against god he doesn't even have to make it up he doesn't even have to exaggerate it every single piece would be right and here we are standing in the midst with no defense for the sin that we have committed against god and watch what happens look at verse five now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say?" So here they are, the scene continues. By the way, I don't want you to miss that this is the scribes and this is the Pharisees. They're the ones who are writing the law that continues to be passed on to generation to generation. They have studied it with the majority of their entire lives. They know it forward and backward. They are the ones coming, interrupting Jesus from his preaching to deal with sin that has been caught that they know what should be done with. Now, specifically in this case, he's talking about adultery. Adultery is serious as it pertains to the law. As a matter of fact, the Bible gives us several scriptures on the penalty of adultery. Here's one from Deuteronomy 22.22. Here's what it says. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So, you shall purge the evil from Israel. So, here they are, scribes and Pharisees, who know everything that there is to know about Old Testament law. They found this woman. They know what should be done to her, yet they throw her at the feet of Jesus to hear what he will say. Why are they bringing her to Jesus? Well, look at verse 6. This they said, talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Now in this moment, these religious leaders think they are so, so smart. They've got Jesus cornered up. Listen, it's, it's, it's just a few verses before this that they had already tried to uh, arrest Jesus. They've already tried to, uh, uh, to test him, to, to imprison him. They've already tried to take him. So they can do with him what we know will happen later at the end of the gospel of John. But here's what's interesting. I don't know if you noticed this from the the text, but where's the guy in this scenario? Where's the man? who was a part of this. By the way, Deuteronomy 22, 22 says, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. Where is this guy? They didn't bring him and parade him down in front of everybody. All they did was find this woman and throw her at the feet of Jesus. Where's the other guy? You say, Danny, are you? what were you trying to talk about? Here's what I want you to see. They don't care about this woman or this man. They don't care about this sin. They don't care about what happens here. They're not tr- trying to prove to be more right or less wrong. That's not the purpose. They're trying to trick Jesus. And what better way to stump the Son of God than to use what he lives his life by, the very word of God, against him. And we go, man, this looks great. Man, they've got him. They've backed him into a corner. Jesus couldn't ignore the law of Moses. He can't set this woman free because he's perfect truth and justice. She deserves to be punished. However, Jesus couldn't sentence her to the penalty of the law because he's perfect grace and he loves her. What is Jesus going to do? How is he going to deal with this situation? They've got him. Jesus has told us in Matthew 12, 42 that, Someone smarter than Solomon has come. Guess who it is? It's Jesus. So look at the end of verse 6. Watch what happens. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So here they are. Verse 7, they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you? Be the first to throw a stone at her. And so they're, they're they're pleading with him. She's right there in their in their midst. They've shut down the entire teaching that's happening in the temple. The last looks and and celebrations of the feast of boots has been ended, and everybody's staring at this scene. This woman, embarrassed. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know what her clothing is like. She's caught in a a, a horrific act and drugged from there and thrown in front of everyone. I cannot imagine the scene, but. Here's here's what I can picture, Jesus in the middle of all of it, bending down and writing something in the sand. What in the world is Jesus writing? Well, listen, this will be one of the fun questions that we get to ask Jesus when we get to heaven. But you know what most people think Jesus is writing in this moment? It would be as if we had a big whiteboard up here, and somebody started yay about somebody else who wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And then Jesus, as you're whining and complaining about somebody else begins to write down all the issues he has with you can you imagine this scene I don't know how many scribes, I don't know how many Pharisees it was, I don't know who her accusers were in this moment, but I know it was all the way from the old, all the way to the young, and as they are accusing her, Jesus is writing in the said, we don't know what it is, but can you imagine if it's all their sins too? Jesus doesn't tell the religious leaders that they're wrong, nor does he Tell the woman that she's deserving of death. Here's what he knew He knew what was in. Their hearts, And he knew what was in her heart and he knows what's in our hearts. But they didn't let that go, right? They continued to ask him until the point where he stands up and says, let him who is without sin among you be first to throw a stone at her. Can you imagine now if the scene that Jesus has made is actually their sins listed out in the sands? Can you imagine as they're weighing his statement against her act and and, and guiltiness and their own sins listed out in the sand? Can you imagine them as they're taking in this moment going, Can I? Can I throw a stone at her? Am I able? have I been good enough? Am I perfect enough? Am I someone who is without sin who can throw this stone? Listen, his answer doesn't lower the standard of the law, nor does it allow his infinite love to push aside his understanding of right and wrong. He upheld the law by placing the letter of the law back on her accusers. The truth was that all of them had sin in their lives. None of them were perfect. The same way that this woman was caught in sin could be said of them as well. And listen, not just them on that day, it could be said about all of us who are here right now. Jesus knows what's in man, what's in all of us, and he could personally attest to the sin that was in all of their lives, from the youngest to the oldest, and he brings conviction to all the accusers as well as brings hope to the accusers. So watch this. Look at verse 8. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. So he's continuing to write in the sand. But when they heard it, heard what? Heard his statement. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. What a moment. They're like an angry mob so quick to watch Jesus kill this woman. They're so eager to catch Jesus off guard. Then out of nowhere, Jesus flips the entire situation on top of them. No one is left except for Jesus and the woman. Can I tell you something, friends? How true is this moment for each of us? People can make whatever accusation they want against me. They can make whatever accusations they want against you and can I tell you something? They're probably right. She couldn't defend herself what they said was true and she deserved to be punished yet she doesn't find her accusers there anymore you know what she finds all she finds is Jesus and can i let you in on a little secret at the end of the day all that matters is what happens when we're left alone with Jesus so friends listen to me we All stand guilty before God, and we will have to encounter Him and look Him in the eyes. We will have to face Him one day. The question is this when we are left in our sin, forget everybody else, it's just us and Jesus. What will our response be? And in this moment, I'm hit with something else that Jesus reminds me of, and it's this. Jesus has the power to condemn, but chooses to save. Think about how scandalous grace really is. We deserve to be punished for what we've done, but Jesus takes our place and offers us something more than the law can ever offer us. We stand in that courtroom as the devil is accusing us, not with Lies, but with the truth. He doesn't need to make anything up because we're already guilty. And nothing that we say, nothing that we do can defend ourselves because everything is true. But our defense has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. Imagine this scene. He says, let whoever of you who is without sin, throw the first stone. They leave because they have sin. They can't do it. But listen to me, friends. There's one person left there who does have the ability to throw the stones and justly can throw the stones because he is without sin, but yet he chooses not to. Danny, this is a weird scene with this moment. I agree. Forget forget the woman. Forget that moment. Jesus is talking about you, friends. He's talking about me. He's talking about as we realize that we stand before him guilty. Can I tell you something, friends? He could easily throw the stone at us. But he doesn't. Though he can condemn us, he chooses us to save. Gosh, there have been millions of testimonies all across the globe of people whose lives have been changed by the scandalous grace of Jesus. All I can picture in that courtroom as the devil closes up his book and realizes that his argument has been made and realizes that we have no chance to stand, but the gavel of God is about to slam and we will be punished forever. In comes someone else on our behalf with his hands outstretched, with nail scars in him, and says, here is their pants. I stand in their place. He doesn't have to. Matter of fact, he's got a gavel too, and he could slam it down, but he doesn't. In fact, I've heard so many testimonies over the last several years that have just been incredible to me personally, and I could share so many of them with you, but listen, I've heard so many just from here. I'll never forget hearing the story of one of our members here at this church during a men's breakfast one, one Sunday morning when he was sharing about his atheistic beliefs and living with no need of Jesus. And then a crazy tragedy hit the life of a friend of his and watching how that friend handled it changed his life forever. And he watched as that person loved when they should have hated and the love of Jesus grabbed his life. Listen, I heard the story of my own Sunday school teacher who dealt with the pains of family loss to the point of being angry at everyone and everything. His wife kept pushing him to go to church and get connected with a small group of guys who invested in him and cared about him. And the next thing you know he got roped into volunteering to serve in a drama production at church and runs into the life changing grace of Jesus. I heard a lady this morning talking about growing up in church but still realizing she was separated from God because of her sin. I heard of another lady who had all kinds of other plans for her life, and then met Jesus, and he changed everything. There are millions and millions and millions of stories of people who should stand condemned, but Jesus chooses to save. Listen, he could pick up a stone, or he can save, and he always chooses salvation first. Luke 15, 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Yes, he could throw a stone, or he could choose to save. Luke 19, 5 through 7, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Yes, he could have picked up a stone, but he chose to save. Matthew 9, 10 through 13, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He could have picked up a stone, but he chooses to save. So watch this, verse 10, look at it. So Jesus stood up. He's done, by the way. He's done riding in the sand. By this point in time, everybody else is gone except for him and her. And he said to her, woman, where are they? Where are all of your self-righteous accusers. Has no one condemned you? Everybody's gone. Jesus stands up and asks her, where is everybody? You say, Danny, is Jesus not serious about our sin? No, no, no. He is serious enough about our sin that he would pay the penalty for it with his own life to die on a cross so that we could be made right with God. Is he just looking over sin? No. He's giving us a better... Way. And so look at verse 11. Let's wrap it up. Here, look look at this. So she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I love it. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. So the woman looks back at Jesus and's like, No one, Lord. All I could think about when I saw this word Lord, I I circled it, I I marked it, I highlighted it because all I could remember was what Paul wrote in Romans 9 when he said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is he your Lord? And then listen, boom, right in the middle of this, when I'm finishing up this story, Jesus reminds me of one more thing. Jesus redeems our past by perfecting our future. You say, Danny, this girl comes from an Interesting background. I agree. This girl made some serious mistakes. I could not agree with you more. Danny, I don't think she's fit to do things. Listen, that's not for me or you to deal with because if I told you about my past, let me tell you something. I'm so glad that he redeemed it so that he could perfect my future. He desires for us to experience new life with him. Listen, whether it's a, a good past or a bad past, God uses it in our future to lead other people to himself. This woman could leave this moment with Jesus knowing that she had escaped death. She deserved to be stoned and in fact was about to be but instead she leaves saved, completely changed to live in the hope of Christ for the rest of her days. This woman escaping death that she deserved had a story of hope to share with all those in despair. As a matter of fact I love how Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. Listen to what he said. He said the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Listen, Jesus doesn't make an excuse for her sin, but rather when someone's life has been impacted by Jesus, transformation takes place. She was to leave and sin no more because encountering the grace of Jesus brings about repentance and change. She could now live the way that God intended and for the purpose that he created. Listen, friends, all the law could do was condemn her to death, but Jesus could give her life. So she was given hope from Jesus and received help through Jesus. Every person that left the temple that day left with a guilty conscience except for this woman who left with joy in her heart. Wow. What A powerful story. What a powerful encounter of the mission of Jesus in the world. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so I have to ask you this question this morning. Have you experienced the grace of Jesus that has set you free from all your sin and your guilt and your shame? You stand guilty just as we all do. But the good news is the story didn't end with her being guilty. Jesus offers you forgiveness right now in this place. Your story doesn't have to end there either. Listen, you might not be dragged before this church and condemned for your sins, but God knows that your sin deserves the penalty of death. And Jesus paid that penalty for you. Will you surrender your life to him? Or listen, maybe you're in this room this morning, you're like the scribes and the Pharisees and everyone else that was in that crowd today and you can think of all the people that you got stones in your hands that you are ready to throw at because they're just not good enough. They're not enough like you. They haven't made good decisions like you've made good decisions. Has Jesus changed the way that you see people? He loves, he forgives, he accepts. Do you? Or listen, friend, maybe you're sitting in this building right now, thinking about how Jesus has changed you. Maybe you're sitting out there right now this morning and you're thinking, man, I was, I was so much like this woman, Danny, I was, I was broken, I stood condemned, I had absolutely no hope on my own apart from Jesus, but I will never forget that day that Jesus found one of the worst of sinners and he loved me when he should have never loved me. And I don't know about you, friends, but I pray, I beg, I hope that that change, that that story of hope that is yours, forget the woman in John chapter eight. Let's imagine he was writing the story of your life in there for the world to hear. What story of hope would your life proclaim because of what Jesus has done in you? And my question for you, friends, would be this, who are you sharing that story of hope with? He told her to go. You know what he's telling us, friends? The same exact thing. He's saying, hey, you've been changed, you stood condemned, and though I could throw a stone, I chose to save, now go go and proclaim that story of hope with the world. It's not just you he wants to change. He came to you so that he could go through you. Who is it in your life that he wants you to share your story of hope with? Listen, this is an incredible encounter with Jesus. Can I tell you something though? It's not that much different than what your encounter with Jesus could be right now. Do you need to give your life to him? Do you need to stop picking up the stones? Do you need to share your story of hope? It's really not about this woman. It's about you and it's about Jesus and when when you're left alone with him, what will you decide? I okay, can tell you something, we're going to sing a song. It's going to be really pretty. And we're going to worship together once again before we leave these moments. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm so thankful that we do. But don't miss this because maybe you don't think about it or maybe it's just become routine to you, but don't miss this. I'm going to walk from here back there to that lobby. And as we sing, it is not just a moment for us to just read some stuff off of a screen. It is a moment for us to respond to Jesus. So listen, friends, if you need to come to this altar, say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've been like the crowd in that story and I don't want that anymore. I wanna throw the stones down and start bringing hope to the world. If that's you, friends, you come fall on your face before Jesus and you get things right. But oh, I pray and I beg. If you're sitting here this morning, you go, Danny, I'm, I'm, I'm the lady in the story. Now listen, you may be a guy, don't miss that. I'm the person that was broken without hope. I'm the person that Jesus paid the penalty for. I'm that person. Friend, listen, if that is you, please leave your pew in these next few moments. As I'm praying, even, even now, leave, go to the lobby. I'll be there in a moment, I'll meet you there. And I'll take my Bible. And friends, I will tell you exactly how Jesus can change your life forever. Don't miss your moment when it's just you and Jesus. Listen, there were a lot of people in the crowd that day, but you know what? It was really just about her and Jesus. Can I tell you something, friends? There's a lot of people in this room today, but maybe this morning, it's really just about you and Jesus. What will you decide when it's just you and him alone? Father, we love you. Thank you. Praise you. You are awesome.